Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Dead man came out. <laughs> the dead man just came out of the grave? Just like that? Yep. Psh, I'll believe in that zombie apocalypse when- Don't you see, Frank? You're running out of pits. Well, I'm glad that you're with us today here in the room, also on the stream, on TV, all of our multi-sites. We're grateful for you as well. We are in the middle of a series called When Pigs Fly. So let me start right up by asking you if you remember this song. Ring around the rosies, a pocket full of posies, ashes, ashes, we all fall down. How many remember that song? Play along on all campuses. Just raise your hand. Boy, you people are old. That's what you are right there. If you remember that song. Even my youngest daughter had heard that song before. And I said, well, do you know the background to that song? And she said, no, I do not. I just know that it's something morbid. And she is right. It is something morbid. It came about as a result of an undertaker singing that song in a cemetery. He was pushing a cart that was stacked full of bodies. It was during the Black Plague. And doctors couldn't understand why so many people were dying. And so they had this idea that maybe it was the pollution that was in the air that was causing the lungs to fill up. And their solution was fresh flowers. They thought if we could get them in a flower garden, if we could get them in a flower bed, they could just smell all the wonderful aromas, it would clean out their lungs. So doctors were so committed to this thought that they would put petals of flowers in their pockets. And for those who couldn't breathe the clean air of the flowers, they would take the petals and they would lay them all all over the hospital bed so a person could smell the aroma. They really thought that that would fix them of the black plague. And, and the part of the song that says, ashes, ashes, we all fall down. Well, some doctors believe that if they blew ash in someone's face, it would cause them to sneeze and that would clear their lungs. So now you understand the background to the story. Ring around the rosy, a pocket full of posies, ashes, ashes. We all fall down. No matter what you do, no matter what you try, we all fall down. We're all going to die. Do you remember the first time you got a taste of death? Just out of curiosity, this is the last time I'll ask you to raise your hand. Just play along with the pastor for just a second. All right, all the campuses, play along with the pastor. How many of you had a childhood pet? Just put it up real high if you had a childhood pet. How many, how many had a dog? Let's put it that way. Put your hand up real high if you had a dog as a kid. Yeah, you're the people God loves the most. Do you know that, right? That's who you are. Anybody want to admit that they had a cat as a childhood? Anybody, 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 anybody? I'm ignoring your hands right now. Anybody, anybody, any? I'm just messing around. So you owned a demon-possessed cat. So you practiced exorcism at a young age. Good for you. There's nothing wrong with that. Here's my question. Do you remember when that childhood pet died? It was devastating, wasn't it? My parents raised uh, French toy poodles, and we had three French toy poodles. Their names were Suzette and uh, Sherry and Pierre. 
Let's just say my parents went all in on the whole French naming thing. Well, I was about five years old. I was in the backyard. This is before there was any leash law when all of a sudden this mud of a dog comes in to our backyard. Well, I guess my little dog, Pierre, got nervous about that big dog being in the backyard. And you know how they got that tiny dog syndrome where they go crazy when they really shouldn't go crazy in the presence of a big dog? Well, I'm guessing that Pierre started shouting some obscenities at the big dog. That's what I'm thinking happened because the big dog grabbed my dog and then shook my dog like a dog and before I knew it Pierre lay lifeless on the ground he died right in front of me my dad came out gathered up the dog we went in the backyard we 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 dug a hole we got a shoe box there was no sermon there were no words we just put the dog in a box and put the dirt on top and then we walked away that was my first taste of death Aren't you glad you came to hear this message today right now? Everybody dies. You're going to die. I'm going to die. Oh, Merry, Merry Christmas, right? That's what you got right there. Well, the reason I talk about that is because we're going to look at a passage of Scripture today in John chapter 11 where Jesus goes to see someone who has been dead for four days. And here's what I want you to get from this message is that Jesus walks with us through it. That Jesus wants to overwhelm us with his love and with his peace and with his presence, even in the darkest days of our life. So let me, let me set this story up for you. It's the story of Mary and Martha and her brother Lazarus. And what we know is, is that those three were very close and personal friends with Jesus. In fact, you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll see that Jesus frequented their house quite often. He would go there for a meal. They would have a teaching time there. Mary and Martha and Lazarus weren't these strangers that just had a chance encounter with Jesus. They had known Jesus over an extended period of time. And they knew all about Jesus' power, his power over sickness, his power over demons, his power over storms and over nature. They had sat around and heard the disciples talk about one thing after another thing that Jesus did, Jesus accomplished. My goodness, one time they came in and told the story to Mary, Martha, and Lazarus that there was a kid who was sick, and Jesus didn't even know who the kid was, and Jesus just said the word, and the kid rose again from the dead. So they know that Jesus is supernatural. They know that Jesus is special. They know that he's different from anybody else. And as long as they've got Jesus as their friend, well, what harm could come their way? Well, one day, Lazarus gets very, very ill. Jesus and his disciples are in another town. They're not around. So he doesn't know that Lazarus is deathly ill. And so Mary and Martha put together a little note. They grab a messenger and they say, go find Jesus and tell him that Lazarus is sick. And this is what they wrote on the note. Lord, the one you love is sick. That's it. That's a tremendous statement of faith, isn't it? They don't say, hey, listen, Lazarus is sick, the one that you care about, the one that you love. You need to get here as quick as possible. You need to pray. You need to do whatever you do. You need to lay hands on him. You need to make your friend well again. They didn't write any of that, did they? They didn't say, hey, Jesus, when you get this message, could you just say the word from where you're at? Because we know that you had situations where someone was sick in another town and all you had to do was pray for them in that moment and that person all the way in another town, they were healed immediately. But they don't ask Jesus to do that either. They just say, hey, Lord, the one that you love is sick. That's a tremendous statement of faith. What they're basically saying is, Jesus, you'll know what to do. 
I mean, however you're going to do it, we know that you're going to do it. We know that you're good. We know that you're faithful. We know that your ways are better than our ways. So we just want you to know he's sick. You just take it from here. Well, Jesus gets the note. And the disciples are kind of standing around going, oh, this is not good. Lazarus is really, really sick. Are are, are we going to head back? And Jesus doesn't. In fact, he stays where he's at for the next couple of days. Let me ask you a question. You ever had a situation where God didn't do what you thought he should do? You ever had a situation where you found yourself in pain, you found yourself in turmoil, you called out to God, you asked him to intervene, and he didn't do what you hoped that he would do? The disciples are a little bit confused. And so they ask about Lazarus. And this is what Jesus says. He says, the sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. I don't like this passage of scripture. Do you understand what we just read? Jesus is basically saying that there are going to be times that he's going to allow heartache and pain to come in our life for no other reason than for him to get the glory. I don't know about you, but that concerns me. I don't like God's glory plan, to be honest with you. I like God's glory plan when I'm catching the game-winning touchdown. I don't have any problem getting on TV, being in an interview, and saying, I don't have all glory to God. He gave me the ability to catch that ball. Yeah, let's go Chiefs. I don't have any problem with that. I don't have any problem hitting the game-winning home run, giving all the glory to God. I don't have any problem being a success. I don't have any problem having accomplishments after accomplishments, winning all kinds of awards, getting behind the microphone saying, me and God represent. That's what I have to do. I don't have any problem with that. I just don't like it sometimes when he allows me to go through a really difficult situation and then I still give him glory. See, I found this to be true. It's more difficult to give God the glory when you're going through chemotherapy. It's more difficult to give God the glory when you're standing by the grave of a friend or a family member and you've prayed over and over and over again that God would rescue them, that God would heal them, that God would give them a little more time, and God said no. It's a little bit more difficult, isn't it? To give God the glory when everything in your world is falling down around you. This should be very concerning to all of us. Why in the world would God allow us to go through such difficult times? Well, if I've said it once, I'll say it a thousand times. There are some lessons that can only be learned in the midst of a storm. How in the world will you ever know that God is all you need till he's all that you've got? Listen, Mary and Martha, they send a message. They think that Jesus is going to do exactly what they want him to do. But he doesn't do that. Imagine you're Mary and Martha. You're sitting there watching your brother die. And you're thinking to yourself, certainly he's gotten the message by now. I I bet he'll show up to the door anytime now. He'll he'll come just in the nick of time. That's Jesus comes right at the last second. But it's always on time, isn't it? Uh, Maybe he got that message. Uh, Maybe he's praying right now. He's praying for, for Lazarus to be healed. But Jesus doesn't do any of that. Jesus doesn't do what they expect him to do. How many times has that happened in your life? And how many times as a result have you cried out to God and you've questioned his wisdom? 
Since I've lost the hearing in my left ear this last month, I have cried out to God again and again and again and again. Heal me. Give me back a hundred percent of what was taken from me. And yet, you don't get what you hope for. So you question God. You say, hey God, I don't know if you understand this or not. I can't hear. Hey, hey God, I don't know if you know this or not, but I think I should. And, and you can do it. And do, do, do you understand? Do you not see things the way I see things? I, I mean, I just want to get your attention to this because I, I think I've got a better perspective on this one than you do. And I just want you to know, if you'll restore it, I'll give you all the praise and all the glory forever and ever and ever. Here's the difference between Mary and Martha and Jesus. You ready? Mary and Martha are praying for a healing. Jesus is wanting a resurrection. You see, there are times in your life when you want something so bad and you're so absolutely confident that this is exactly what you should get. And God says, no, I've got something better. In the midst of the pain, in the midst of the disappointment, in the midst of the heartache, I will overwhelm you with my presence. I will be with you. I will guide you. And I will help you. And, and yet we question him, don't we? Now, if you understand how ludicrous it is to question God, then, then you might not be on the pathway to trusting God with that defiant faith that we talk about around here from time to time. Let, let me tell you something about God. You ready for this? God doesn't need to give you an answer. I mean, you're going to ask him a jillion questions. He doesn't see a need to give you an answer. Why is that? Because he's God. And you're not. The Bible says in Psalm 115, verse 3, Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. Yet we question him. Why am I stuck with this body instead of that one? Why is my family so messed up? Why am I in so much pain? And of course, the answer to all those questions is because he's God. And he just has a different perspective on all of this than we do. Friends, our perspective is so limited. We think we know, but we don't know. There was a farmer, and his friend came over and visited with him there on the porch, and all of a sudden one of the pigs ran by. And the friend said to the farmer, he said, that's the craziest looking pig I ever saw in my entire life. I've never seen a pig like that before. The farmer says, what are you talking about? He said, well, that pig's got three legs. And the leg that's missing has an artificial limb. I have never seen a pig with an artificial limb. Farmer said, oh, I know what you're talking about. Let me tell you a little bit about that pig. A few months ago, my grandson was over in the pond over there, and he was drowning. Nobody saw him, but the pig did. pig jumped in and rescued him, pushed him back to the shore. He said, then a couple of weeks ago, we were out mowing the fields. My granddaughter went out there. We didn't even see her. We were going to mow her over, but the pig saw what was going on, ran right in front of her, pushed her out of the way in just the nick of time. He said, I just didn't have the heart to eat him all at once. See, you, you, <laughs> you thought the pig injured himself pushing the girl in front of the mower. That's not what happened. The farmer just wanted bacon. That's what happened in this whole story. See, you think you know it. You think you understand it. You think you see it from all angles. But we don't. 
We only see a sliver, and then we trust God to do what is good. We trust God to do what is best because he is a good God. George Mueller was a pastor in the 1800s, and he shares about losing his wife of 39 years to rheumatic fever. Her name was Mary. He preached her funeral about three days later, and he chose a passage of Scripture, Psalm 119, verse 68. This is what the verse says. You are good... And you do good. This was his three points. The Lord was good and did good in giving her to me. The Lord was good and did good in so long leaving her to me. And the Lord was good and did good in taking her from me. Under his third point, he, he talked about how he prayed and prayed and prayed that God would intervene, that God would heal her. That God would give them just a little bit more time together as a couple. And he said, but Lord, if it's your will that you take her, give me a peace that I know that one day that I'll be with her again. You see, we see things completely different than the way that God sees things. I love this, this paragraph that Max Lucado wrote years ago. He says, we're thinking save the body and God's thinking save the soul. We avoid pain and we seek peace. But God uses pain to bring peace. God loves what endures, but we love what rust. We rejoice at our successes, but God rejoices at our confessions. We show our children the Nike star with the million-dollar smile and say, Be like Mike. God points to a crucified carpenter with bloody lips and a torn side and says, Be like Christ. Mary and Martha don't get it. Jesus isn't doing what they think he should be doing. They want a healing. But Jesus wants a resurrection. Well, Jesus shows up. Lazarus has been dead now for four days. And Mary is so mad at Jesus, she didn't even come out to greeting. Martha does, though. But her greeting isn't very nice. She kind of puts it on Jesus just a little bit. She says, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died you know what I, didn't, I know to be true about every one of us in this room and every person watching from home? You know what I know to be true is we all have if-onlys, don't we? If only I'd have done that differently. If only I hadn't said those words. If only I would have asked for forgiveness. If, if only I hadn't gone to that place. If only. You know, when you're saying if-only, it always sounds like it's the end of the story, doesn't it? But here's what I love about Martha. She gives her if-onlys to Jesus. And it's not the end of the story. It's just the beginning of the story. It's like Martha looks at him and says, if only I would have sent someone other than a messenger. Maybe I should have gone myself. Maybe I should have dragged you back here. Oh, if only I had done more. If I would have done this or if I'd have done that, then my brother would be alive right now. Jesus looks at her and says, Martha, your brother will rise again. She says, I know. I know in the end there's going to be a resurrection. I, 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 I know that. And then Jesus said these words. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives and believes in me will live and never die. Do you believe this? I, I want to pause here for just a second because sometimes we can skim over passages of Scripture and not understand the power and the authority in which Jesus spoke them. Can you imagine anybody else in your life that would say this to you? 
Let's say we have a mutual friend, someone that I'm close to, someone you're close to. I don't know that they're sick. So you send a message to me to let me know that they're sick. And you're in hopes that I'll come and that I'll pray. That maybe God would intervene because after all, I've got the red phone to God, right? That's what people think. If we just get Todd praying for this, he's got the red phone. I wish I had the red phone. You understand what I'm saying? I don't have a red phone. But you say, well, I'll just get Todd. We'll get Todd to pray. Well, then you find out that I I didn't pray. And you find out that I didn't come to the sick friend. In fact, I kind of goofed around, to be honest with you. For the last couple of days, I've been in Home Depot, you know, looking up and down the aisles, looking for stuff, because I can't find a thing in Home Depot. You understand what I'm saying? And you're kind of ticked off at me. And so when I show up after our friend has died, you say, man, if only you'd have been here. I mean, if you'd have been here, maybe God would have heard from heaven. Maybe our situation would be different. And then I look at you and I say, fear not. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. What would you do in that moment? You'd be looking for the guy with the white coat. That's what you'd be doing like this. guy's just lost his mind saying something crazy like that. This is such an amazing phrase that Jesus says. Do you know that Muhammad never claimed any of this? And Buddha never claimed any of this. And Confucius never claimed any of this. There's only one who claimed to be the resurrection and the life. And he's the one who backed it up by rising again from the dead. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And then he asked the question. Oh, my goodness. He asked the question of Martha that he's asking you today. Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus has power over death, that Jesus has power over sin, that that the grave has lost its power because of the resurrection power of Jesus? Do you believe this? And I want you to see what Martha says. She says, yes, Lord. I believe you're the Christ. You're the Messiah, the Son of God who is to come into the world. How could she say this? Everything in her world has fallen apart. He didn't do what she thought he should do. And yet she's still proclaiming, you are God in the flesh. You are our deliverer. You are our savior. You are the son of God. How does she know? Well, she's known Jesus for years. And Jesus is unlike anybody else she's ever met. My goodness, she's not only heard the stories of him healing the deaf, the blind, the mute, and the lame. She's seen him do it. She's not only heard stories about him casting out evil spirits. She's seen it. She's not only heard about him rising, raising people back to life again. She's witnessed it for herself. And there's something else about Jesus that's different. She's never seen him sin. He's never lied. He's never gossiped. He's never done one rebellious, sinful thing towards a holy God. You hang around with me, I don't know, 10 minutes, and I promise you'll see me sin. Now, I don't know about the 10-minute thing because I've never timed it. Maybe I should time it. I don't know if I should or shouldn't. But she's watched Jesus for years. So when he says, I'm the resurrection and the life, he who believes in me will live even though he dies. Do you believe this? 
She says, oh, yes, Lord. I believe it with every fiber of my being. I love Martha. Because she just won't let go. Even though everything in her world has fallen down around her. Even though Jesus has not come through in the way that she hoped that he would come through. She holds on to him with white knuckle intensity. Jesus says, where'd you lay him? And then it says this, shortest verse of scripture in all the Bible. says, Jesus wept. Those two words have such incredible power, don't they? They bring such comfort to me. Because how many times have you wept? Wept over your situation. Wept over your circumstances. Can I explain something to you? Jesus weeps with you. Because he knows what it's like to feel pain. He knows what it's like to have your heart broken. He knows what it's like to have your whole world fall down around you. And the Bible says this, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and he was troubled. And that word troubled means he was mad. Imagine you've made something so beautiful. It's perfect in every way. And then these sinful people come in and they destroy it. Wouldn't you be mad too? Because Jesus is getting an up close and personal look at what sin and death has done to his creation. So he's weeping over what's going on and he's angry over what's going on. And this is why Jesus came. Jesus came to die for your sin. Jesus came to give you an abundant life on this earth and eternal life in heaven. He came to rescue you from yourself. He came so you would never face anything in your life alone. Where have you laid him? He's over here. Well, move the stone away. And I love Martha. She says, I don't think that's a good idea. It's been four days. It's not going to be a pleasant aroma coming out of that tomb, Jesus. They move the stone away. Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. Now imagine you're Lazarus. You've been in heaven eating fat-free food. And I'm not talking about low-cal food. I'm saying fat-free food. And it's delicious every single bite. And there's a buffet going on. It's going on for all eternity. And you're sitting around talking to Moses and Noah. You're having the time of your life. And the next thing you know, you're walking out of a grave with grave clothes on. And you're thinking, this stinks. I got to die again. That's what you're thinking right there. Mary and Martha want a healing. Jesus wants a resurrection. You just don't know. You don't know how he's going to work through your pain. You don't know how he's going to work through your sickness. You just don't know. And so what do we do? Well, we keep walking with him. We keep talking with him. I, I know people who have gone through such difficult things and terrible things. And, and some of you right now are in that situation. And, and you're so mad at God over it. This is not a time to be angry with him. You need him now more than ever before. This is a time for you to come to him honestly and say, I don't understand this. And I don't get this. And this is so frustrating. But I know you're good. And I know you'll do good. And you'll bring good out of this bad situation that I find myself in. And I know that years from now, I'm going to look back and see how you used it for your glory and for my good. So like Martha, I'm hanging on. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You're the Son of God.
The thing I love about this story is that Mary and Martha didn't face their grief alone. Jesus was there in the midst of it with them. And as he was with them, he wants to be with you. Even when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you'll fear no evil because his rod and his staff comfort you. Why? Because he is by your side. He is our refuge. He is our covering. He is our strength. You're never alone. For those who have placed their faith in Jesus, you face nothing alone. So call out to his holy name. Let him overwhelm you with his love and his grace and his presence. It's more than enough. Even when you're weak, he'll give you strength like you never knew you had because it will be the strength of the Lord. There was a farmer. He was whittling on his porch and the guy walked up in his property and he said, man, about half a mile back, I accidentally put my truck in the ditch and I need somebody to pull me out. Do you have a tractor or something? We could pull the truck out. He said, no, I don't have a tractor, but I got my old mule, Blue. I think he could might help you out a little bit. And so they got Blue and they brought him on down and they hitched him up. And, and so the farmer said, pull, Blue, pull. And the truck didn't move at all. Farmer said, pull, Elmer, pull. And the truck started moving just a little bit. Then he said, pull, Biscuit, pull. And all of a sudden, the truck came all the way out of the ditch. Well, the guy was amazed. He said, that's an amazing, strong mule that you've got there. That's, that's incredible. But I got a question for you. Why did you call him three different names? Farmer said, Blue's blind. If he thought he was the only one pulling, your truck would still be in a ditch. <laughs> Here's the great news I got for you. When you find yourself in life's ditch, call upon Jesus. You're never alone. And he has the power to rescue you. He has the power to make something beautiful out of something that's so bad. Now here's my question. Do you understand this? Do you lean on this? Do you trust this? Or are you still trying to figure out life on your own, in your own strength, and in your own wisdom? How many people who come to church week after week, month after month, and they still live as if Jesus isn't present in their life? And so when heartache comes and pain comes, rather than relying upon him, they try to figure it out themselves. So here's my question. Aren't you sick of it yet? He can help you. He can restore you. He can give you strength, strength that you never knew. You were never made to do life on your own. You were never made to face life's challenges on your own. So if you've never opened up your heart to Jesus, if you've never confessed your sin and you've asked him to be the leader and forgiver of your life, I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna give you an opportunity to make a decision for Jesus Christ. And, I'm, and if you'll come forward and you'll trust in him, you will find a friend who sticks closer than a brother. He will never leave you and he will never forsake you. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray in this moment for the person who's here, who's in desperate need. They are tired and they are weary. They can't keep the pace up anymore. They fight one battle after another. Lord, they're exhausted. Lord, I pray that they would understand that you're for them in every possible way. 
and that you want to lead them, you want to help them, you want to strengthen them, that they don't have to do life alone anymore. Lord, I pray that they would come to their senses, realize their need for you, realize that we're just sinners in need of a Savior, and oh, what a Savior you are. You'll take our sin if we'll confess it, and you'll throw it as far as the east is from the west, and then you'll put your Holy Spirit inside of us to empower us to keep keeping on when all we want to do is quit. Lord, I pray for those individuals who are in desperate need of you that today would be the day of their salvation. And I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.